We're talking about a collection, uh, we're in a collection of talking about who we are. But not just who we are as individuals, but who we are in our identity and our relationship to God. I think it's important, let me say it one more time, that if we understand who we are, especially in our relationship with God, most likely we'll do a better job in this lifetime of living that out. If we don't know who we are in in Christ, in our spiritual identity, most likely we won't. Most likely we we will miss out on the fulfillment that God has in store for us. It is really stunning that there are billions of people around this planet and God knows us so intimately. Sometimes it's hard to wrap our head around such things. It's hard to understand the bigness of God, the magnitude of his genius, and the endlessness of his capacity. And yet, as humans continue to develop technology, it begins to give us just a glimpse of if we can do this as human beings, if we can have megabytes and then sequentially terabytes and gigabytes and terabytes and who knows what byte comes after that, honestly, God, this is just a little thimble to God to be able to remember and to be this kind of uh, detailed in our lives. What I'm fascinated with these days is facial recognition. I've read a number of articles. I'm preparing to do some writing over an extended period of time, and, I, and I've been studying technology for the sake of understanding the capacity that we have and versus the capacity of God. So when we think, for, for example, that it is impossible for God to know each of us individually, perhaps that you don't know that the U.S. State Department has 117 million of us in a database because of our driver's license, and that plays into facial recognition. If you look at other countries and what they're doing, if you look at facial recognition in China, that they can let their cameras and mechanisms all around that if you were in a crowded room, they could point you out and identify you. This is where we're going. And so this is not a conspiracy uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, speech, um, but why not? Let's go there. No, just kidding. <laughs> Everybody says, oh, it's scary, but, you know, it's, it's also, uh, there's some value in it and all those things. So let's not go there. What I'm saying is, if God can do that, then, uh, if we can do that, then God can do that. What is fascinating is that most of the people in this room, in fact, all the people in this room are just about, uh, some of us know each other, some of us don't. But most of us, I'm going to say 99% of us, I met you and you met me as an adult. We didn't grow up together as kids. And so our knowledge of each other is as adults. This is not true for God. It is not true that God just knows you as an adult. It's not true that God knows you, just knows you as post-conversion Christian, if you, in fact you are a Christian. God knew you in a stunning way. God knew you when you were in the womb of your mother. We know this in Scripture uh, through the different writings of of those who uh, recorded the words of God, and we're just going to do a little landscape today. We're going to land, by the way, for those of you that have your Bible, in John chapter 4 today. This is certainly a a woman. It's the the well-known story of the woman at the well. We don't know her name. 
We don't know her face recognition. There's no drawing of her, but she has gone down in history, and she is the woman at the well. That is her title. That is her identity throughout history. She came to the well that day with her head down, and through a conversation with Jesus, she walked away, as we've sung already, with her head held high. I wanted to show you in Psalm 139 the miracle of God's knowledge of us. For God, you created, David writing this, by the way, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Psalm 139, verse 15, my frame, my skeletal frame, my body was not hidden from you, God, when I was made in the secret place. This is the, the womb of the mother. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. If you adhere to the word of God, I cannot skim over this intersection without saying that life does not begin at the first breath. Life begins in the womb. And not only does life begin in the womb, but God knows us already before we take that first breath. In, Saul, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, he speaks of himself. He says, before I formed you in the womb, God says to him, I knew you. Think about that. This takes fake facial recognition, which is like, oh, that's so amazing. And like, nah, not really. <laughs> not when you think about God. At least to this point, I haven't seen any facial recognition that works in the, in, the, in, the, in the womb yet. And God says, not only am I aware of you, Jeremiah, but I knew you. Isaiah said the same thing. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, the Lord, watch, has made mention of my name. Ever felt like God didn't know you? Well, there's a Hebrew word for that. Fooey. <laughs> he has known you and pursued you and loved you before you took your first breath. Maybe we should do another worship service right at this moment because that is stunning. Even when you think about John the Baptist, there is much said in the Christmas story about John before he was even born. But it doesn't stop there. This is even true in our lives as we're going. You remember Christ said that the number of hairs on your head are numbered right now. He knows them. If you, if we, you know, it's getting fewer, but he knows them, right? <laughs> he says, I understand every breath that you take. We sang it this morning. The breath that you have put in my lungs. He said that. Here's a stunning little intersection that we skim over. You remember when Jesus was first starting his, his, his journey as an adult in his ministry? And in fact, in John, the very first chapter, he tells about this intersection that he has with one of the lesser known, less talked about disciples, Nathaniel. Jesus is sitting there and Nathaniel is walking towards him when Jesus saw in John chapter 147, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Some versions say there's no guile. In other words, he knew his character. Never met him before. I mean, as we would meet each other, never met him before. 
And Nathanael said, how do you know me? Oh, you must have not read Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Psalm 139 then. He said, how do you know that? It would not be any different than if I met you for the first time. There's a bunch of people here that I've never met. And, I'm, and I come up to you and like, hey, man, how's, your, uh, how's, the, how's the backyard? It looks like it needs mowed. You're like, what? That must have been the moment. He said, how do you know me? And Jesus said, answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you about 45 minutes ago. Think about that. If you came in this morning and you don't think that God is aware of your circumstance, your life chapter, it goes much deeper than that. That's just the surface. Not only does he know that, but there's a, there's a reason why this conversation that we're having today is important. Now we're going to go to uh, John chapter 4. This is the woman at the well. If you have your Bible or a device, you wanna, we're going to just park right there. Let me just say also that God knew you in your past when you're in when your mother's womb. God understands you right now. He's num- numbered the hairs on your head. He understands what you're going to be doing today. He understands what you did yesterday. But it remains true, this detailed knowledge of you personally in the future, because the book of Revelation tells us that as we are Christ followers, and if we are Christ followers, our name is written in the book of life, our detailed name, and it will be spelled correctly for those of you that have a name that is often misspelled. My Christmas gift last year for my in-laws was a coffee mug with my name on it. It was misspelled, and I'll leave it at that. (laughs) That's where you say the thought counts, right? (laughs) My name will not be misspelled in the book of life, and neither will you. The uniqueness of every human being is stunning. When you begin to look at the DNA of human beings, when you begin to look at at the makeup of who we are and the uniqueness of who we are, that in and of itself that we are fearfully and wonderfully and ingeniously made, we are customized individuals. Even though we all have a lot in common, there is that uniqueness. In fact, I don't know if you know this. I sure didn't. If you took the, the sequence of the human, the DNA sequence of, of, the, of, of the human genomes, and you began to write them all out, and you filled up a book of a thousand pages, it would take 200 volumes of those thousand page books to fill it up. If you began to read the sequence out loud for 40 hours a week, just your individual customized a sequence of, of genomes, if you read that out loud for 40 hours a week, it would take over 130 years. You're unique. There's a story here in John chapter 4. And by all stretch of surface level uh, uh, view, you would think this is just another person Another woman coming to the well on another day. 
She had 200 volumes of 1,000 pages each of her DNA genome sequence. Jesus knew who she was, listen, before she was born. Before she was born. She came to this well. I'll set up the story. Some of you know this backdrop, but I don't want to assume that you do. She came to the story in what was labeled the, or uh, categorized as the sixth hour. Uh, time in that, in, that gen- in that culture began at 6 a.m., so it was noon. It tells us a lot about her. She was alone. It tells us a lot about her. We began to understand her identity. No one came for water at noon. Why would you come at the heat of the day to get water? Makes no sense, because in that culture, of course, you're carrying large jars, large containers of water. She came alone at the heat of the day because nobody else wanted to come with her. In fact, she wasn't allowed to come with anyone else. She wasn't allowed to come with a group of ladies in the morning. She was labeled. She was outcast. What direction do you think her head was facing when she came to that well? Because after she came to the well, it probably was a relief to get out of the village. But she had to go back to the village alone with the water. And we still don't know her name. She came up to the well, and Jesus said, is there any way that you can give me a drink of water? First of all, it was out of bounds because he was a man, she was a woman. In that culture, you wouldn't ask that. The second penalty flag came that he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. They hated each other. So we find ourselves in John chapter 4, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, wait a minute. You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. As we begin this story, what I think is so important is this. And this is where it's relevant, because we can look back and like, okay, they're getting water from a well, and you know, I haven't done that this week. I don't know about you. I haven't gone to a well. I'm not carrying jars, and, and there's a culture, and men can talk to women, and there's, uh, you know, there's a lot that we can say, well, I don't relate to that story. But here's where we do relate to that story, and it's called labeling. We label each other by economics, by race, by gender, by position, by neighborhoods, But there is also a deeper labeling. I'm going to say that there are times that we label ourselves by the secrets of our stories. If you knew everything about me, you still might not like me. If you knew all of my stories, you might say, wow, that's pretty stunning until you looked at your story. And so already she is a walking, closed book of secret stories who doesn't want to share, and she's labeled herself to the point that she's stunned that anybody would talk to her, much less a male Jew, because she has said, this is who I am, and this isn't supposed to happen. There are some of your stories sitting in this room. There's some of the stories in this room that would cause you to label yourself, shut your book, lock the book, let the book become rusted, 
and then I, I just am this, and, and you're afraid that if anyone knew that story, they wouldn't like you. That's who we are as human beings, just being real, just being real. This is not necessarily about Jews and Samaritans or men and women. It's about us as human beings and the things that we carry and how we label ourselves and what a tragedy that is in relationships. And then Jesus says to her in in verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. It is a fascinating study in human dynamics. This was, I often look at conversations as a, as a poker game. Uh, when I'm meeting with a husband and a wife, maybe they're going through rough troubles. I've been at the poker table long enough to know that not all the cards are being played. We don't. I don't. You don't. We don't play all the cards at the same time. She carefully laid that card down. If she literally were in a, in a card game and she was going to the, play the I don't have a husband card, I'm going to say that her heart rate went up, perspiration began to beat on her head, and her hand was trembling just a little bit. I don't have a husband. Oh, really? At your age? What? You know how it is. And everything in you wants to take that card back. Because we're afraid that they'll know the rest of the cards. And therefore, we guard ourselves. And Jesus blew her mind. He said, well, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, those other cards you're holding... You've had five husbands, and the man now that you're sleeping with, you're right, he's not your husband. What you've said is true. Enter jaw drop. (laughs) One of the things I, I, can I say this, I don't like about the Bible? Ooh. (laughs) It's not big enough. Oh, okay. The man who recorded this story, John, said at the end of his story, the world couldn't contain the number of books if, if we wrote everything. So one of the things that I just like, I'm like, dang it, with, with these stories, is you think that this conversation, if you're reading it, was literally 48 seconds long. But he didn't write everything. He's writing the gist, the essence of the conversation. This might, listen carefully, have been a three-hour conversation. Don't fool yourself by the, the page flips or the one-year Bible you know, swipe on your phone. These are longer stories. I promise you that Jesus just wasn't that cold. He began to dig down. He began to look at her. He began to to listen to her. He began to care for her because he cared for her one second after her conception. Think about that. He knew about the first marriage and the second marriage and the third marriage and the fourth marriage. He understands your secrets and mine. There's some people in the room that 
have said, I have done this, I have experienced this, and somehow you think that that story has caused you to shut down. And Jesus is saying, that's not right. There's some, there's some miracles that are going on here, and it's not that Jesus just knew. Now watch this. In verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who knows me. Not just a magician. He knows me. He said, tell me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Okay, play it on your head. Let's say her name is Maria, okay? When she went out of town with her water jar that day, there was probably like every day chatter. Well, there she goes again. I heard she's, I heard she's sleeping with somebody. That's not her husband. That's what I've heard too. You know, it's like number six. Yeah, I know it's number six. Right? wonder how many friends she had on Facebook. But wouldn't it be crazy when she came back to, to the village, to the town, with no water jar? That would have been the first, like, huh, there's something weird going on. Because the water was her survival. It was that important for her to have been known she left the water back at the well. And she was so excited that the first time in many, many, many years that someone gave a flip enough about her to know her, the rest of her cards in her hand. And she left the very survival things that she, went, that she needed, her water. She went back, and all those people that haven't talked to her in a long time, didn't matter. Wow, somebody knows me. And they were like, Knows you? Well, if they knew you, wow. <laughs> they let you go to church. <laughs> I got a shot at this, right? Come on. <laughs> and you can tell how important it is for each of us to be known. The whole dang town came out. Each of us want to be known. There's something deep inside that in the worst chapters and the darkest valleys of our life, we scream to God, can you see me? I've screamed that prayer before. Can you hear me? Jesus screamed that prayer on a cross. Why have you forsaken me? Don't you see this? And we get it. Here's some takeaways that I think are miracles. When you look at this story... Here's what I think is not only miraculous that Jesus only knew her. Are you ready for it? Might be the best news you've heard all day. He knew all five husbands. He knew the man that she was living with at the time. He knew all the cards she was trying to hold in her hand. And guess what? He still liked her. God likes you. I know we hear God loves you. I understand that. But he likes you. He still likes you. That's a big deal. And for some of you, like, okay, whatever. Okay. There might be a person in your vicinity where you're sitting. They're like, wow, he still likes me. 
even though he's known all of my junk all my life, even though he knew about that one, that card that I've held all my life, even though he's known the, the, the things I didn't want to put on the poker table, and he still likes me. Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, love him, respect him. Why? Because he knows how we are formed. From the very beginning, he remembers that we are dust. He remembers that. The second takeaway is this, and you can almost expect that you're going to hear me say this. This conversation that was life-changing for her at the well, how many people were there? You say it. Two. Two. It was one-to-one. I see it over and over and over. This week at staff meeting, uh, our pastor, uh, Todd uh, Roten, um, had sketched out some things and, and had, we had it on the whiteboard and there was something that's hit me and it's just, it is in my mind. I woke up with this morning. I wo- it's just been in my mind. It's so It was such a like, wow, that's so true. It's so simple, but so true. And uh, I want to see if you guys like it. Then next week I'll say it was my idea. Just one of the... <laughs> um, when we're in a crowd and uh, we intersect with each other, we say, hey, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. This is what we can expect and, and what we hope, that, that when you come today, you say, hey, I've been seen today. I've been seen. But there's a limit, we know, in a crowd. But then we get into a group, and we say, I, I've been heard. I, I, I got to voice some things, and I, I, I got to be heard. But then when you sit at the well, at a table for two, you get to be known. You get to be known. I thought, man, that is, that is as the generation after me says, that's truth. <laughs> that's reality. There's a lot of people that saw her in that village. They were in the group. She probably got heard at one point in her life. But here in this small circle at the well, she got to be known. And I say that to us, and I say it over and over for this reason, that it does, it does uh, calibrate the expectation in each relational dynamic. If you expect to be known on Sunday morning, you'll be disappointed. And in most environments, I know there are exceptions to every rule, but in most environments, we can feel heard in a group. But if your expectation is to be deeply known like this in a group, you'll be disappointed in groups. It's truly not until you are in the safety at the well at a one-to-one dynamic. Does this make sense? It's only then she said, hey, this is why it's so important because then we get to live out the design the way God made us. I'm reminded of David and Jonathan this morning in 1 Samuel 18.1. Jonathan became one spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. It didn't happen in a group. It happened with one other individual. Finally, let me say this to us. God is always expecting us to grow. Would you agree with that? 
And not just grow in the knowledge of the Bible, but grow as individuals being transformed to look more and more like Jesus. So as we are talking in staff, I can be seen here in a group, I can be heard, and then when I'm at a table for two, there's a shot that I can be known. But we said, we don't want that to, to land, it's all about me, right? So we thought, well, as we grow then, and when I come to Sunday morning, I'm looking who I can see. I just don't want to be seen. I want to say, oh, I see you. You're important. I see you. You're important. When we are in a group setting, I want to hear. I'm, I want to listen to what you have to say. I just don't want to be heard. If I just want to be heard, then I'm not grown up yet. And then if, I, if we really, the deeper we grow, then I want to know. And I don't know about you, but here's my experience. That doesn't happen that often with me. It can't. There's not enough time. It's reserved for maybe one or two. But when it happens, it's so important when you have someone in your life that, hey, I really want to know you. And that is maturity. Romans 15:1, we who are strong, mature, ought to bear with the failings of the weak, the ones that are still in, in a level where they need to be cared for, not to please ourselves. This whole thing is about looking like God. Philippians 2, 4, we end here. It says, the Bible says, have the same mind as we've, in us as that is in Christ. And he said, each one of us to look not only to our own interest, but also to the interest of others. You want to be like Jesus? Here's one for you. Who's at your well? Who's at your well holding a handful of cards? And inwardly, they're dying to know that there's somebody that will meet them there, that will know them. And not only know them, but still like them. You see, Jesus came, and we're told, the Bible tells us that though we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us, and that Christ still came and died. That is the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, everybody in this room has a well. And there are some people in this room that not only have a well, but that place of privacy, God, but every day they go there alone. And they've gone there alone for a long time. And today, God, you uh, once again have stunned us by truth, the truth that you have known us from the very beginning and that you have loved us and pursued us and embraced us and liked us. I find it more stunning, God, that you like us as much or more than that you know us. So even after knowing us, you like us. Somebody, God, needed to hear that today. I know I did. Somebody has a handful of cards. Well, maybe we all do. And we carefully lay those cards down only with a very select person. But God, we understand that before we lay them down, you know them. And all those cards that we hold, God, you still came 
you still liked us and you loved us enough to die for us. I can't help but to wonder, Father, in a room full of human beings with volumes of DNA sequences, unique. I can't help but to wonder who's sitting right here with us that says, I am stunned by your love today, God. I wonder who's sitting right here today who thought that you would never like them or love them or embrace them, accept them, God, because of who they are. And perhaps today is that day, God, where you convince them that no matter what card they're holding secretly, you know it, you like them, you love them, and you died for them to forgive them so that when they look at their cards, there's nothing on them because you, they're blank. You've washed all those things away through the blood of Jesus on the cross. As we're in prayer, it would never embarrass you, never point you out. This is between you and God. Are you having that conversation with God right now? Secretly in the privacy of your own well, have you ever reached out to Christ and said, God, I never knew that you knew me so much. And I want your forgiveness, your love. And I've never exchanged my old life for your new one. I've never called on Jesus to forgive my sins. I've never asked him to come and, and drive my life, to be the Lord of my life, to be over my life, to ignite new life. Is that you? Or is that the conversation that you're having right now at your private well? It's not like Jesus just showed up. He's, he's been in your life, pursuing you, aware of you all your life. How about you give your heart to him today? How about you... How about you just be super raw, honest with him today, right now? Just say, Jesus, would you come into my life? I embrace your gift of forgiveness on the cross. Here's my life, God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna interchange it for yours. Is that your prayer? God is faithful. We sang this morning, I'm a child of God you enter into that relationship by faith, you are a child of God when you embrace Christ. Are you a, have you made that decision? Thank you, Father, for knowing every ounce of our being, every syllable of our story. God, we, we end this day as we begin. We hold our head up because of Jesus. We love you. Thank you.